0: Welcome to the High Impact Man Podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs.
1: Okay, here we go with another episode of the High Impact Man Podcast. Uh, we're, we're excited to bring this one. Uh, a lot of these guys that come on as guests of ours are recommended by former guests and that's really cool because uh, it's really it's awesome to uh, have one high impact man recommend another, and uh, and that's kind of the situation here. Uh, uh, how many of you listened to our podcast episode where we had Banjo on F3 Banjo? But Banjo recommended uh, our guest today, and anybody Banjo recommends is definitely going to be a high impact man. Uh, so that's super cool. And uh, I am your host, Nevin Gorky. I'm known as D Fib in the Gloom to my F3 brothers, and I'm joined by Troy Klinger otherwise known as dial-up to his F3 brothers. And uh, so dial-up, uh, tomorrow I'm queuing a ruck beatdown. I don't think, although Thinkcrest said he did one before, but if if it's not the first, it's only the second true ruck beatdown that we've had here.
0: Yeah, other than, uh, you know, we've done some rucks as part of our seesops.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, we did part but, of that.
0: Right, yeah, yeah part, part of, of that. But uh, yeah, we,
1: we also did spinny bat time and all that stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that was a fun
0: seesaw. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. Well,
1: that 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 seesaw wasn't designed to break us down. That CSOP was designed to just bring us together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, through was, laughter through. and yeah, very cool. Lots of other stuff. Yeah, tomorrow's an O five hundred beatdown. So you're coming, right?
0: <laughs> I I said I'll be there. All right. Yeah. Since since okay. you're leading. Yeah. I'm Not uh, that you're more important than any of the other Pax no. members, but but the, there's extra motivation when when your nan-tan is queuing a workout.
1: Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm happy if it is, because the more guys that show up, the, the, the better we all are. That's right. So we'll see. Well, our guest today knows a little bit about rucking as well, so uh, we'll get into that with him. His name is David Ray. His F3 name is Rambler. A lot of guys out there do know him. Uh, he's from the Churum region, uh, another Carolina guy. Uh, he's the, uh, the Ruck Q for his region down there in the SLT there uh, in the Hope Valley Ruck Club co-leader speaking of ruckin'. and he's got a story to tell and I hope you all find this story uh, motivating and inspiring and encouraging uh, and I bring guys hope uh, to know that you know you could deal with some stuff and you could get through it and you could press on and uh, you know you don't have to despair and especially if you're doing it with your brothers yep. you know you do with a community of guys so rambler welcome to the high impact man podcast yeah thanks for having me good to good to be here yeah for sure. uh, we uh we're glad to have you my man and uh so you're in where where, are you, where do you live do you live in Durham? yeah so i live about uh
2: five ten minutes south of chapel hill proper so Durham is chapel hill dash durham um so, so it's uh, a- yeah it's a big big region and uh you know we like to get after it and uh that's pretty exciting place to see.
1: Well, yeah, that's cool. So, are you a Tar Heel fan? Then
2: uh, I am, by virtue of the fact that uh, my wife works there and they pay her. So, you know, <laughs> we're we're very uh, we're motivated by uh, you know money at times. So, I've been a Tar Heel, Tar Heel fan. I've been an, a Sooner, been a, a Utah State Aggie, all sorts of places. All
1: <laughs> right, that's cool. That's all right. Um, so, tell us how you got when and how you got started with F three who we and how you got your name Rambler.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I was, uh, I started F three in 2017. Um, I was, you know, typical case of a sad clown, um, overweight, uh, not very, well, I had been in shape a while ago, but very overweight as we had moved out to North Carolina from Utah and, uh, just trying to find friends, trying to find a way. And, um, it was actually my wife's boss. Um, his name is Fieri. He, EH he, he, me, we've been doing some, like, uh, there was a gentleman in our neighborhood that did some, you know, group fitness classes and those were for pay. And then as the, the neighborhood grew bigger and bigger, he kind of got phased out. And so we're all kind of looking for something to do. And they had, um, introduced F3 to, to our, uh, specific subdivision and, uh, took Fiery uh, quite a bit of work to convince me to come out, you know, because it's like in the morning, whatever, who gets up that early, it's nonsense. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I got out one time and was pretty much hooked. It was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So, how, how did you get Rambler?
2: Rambler. So, yeah, um, basically, when they asked me, you know, about myself, that the first time I first uh, uh, I went to, uh, basically said, you know, I was born in Northern California, um, grew up in Northern California, did my undergrad in Chapman University in Orange, California. So, went from North to South California, then headed off to Houston, Texas, to do masters, then. Headed up to Indiana to do another uh, doctorate for a while and then uh, cut that and got another master's and moved to Utah and finally found my way
1: to North Carolina. So it was just like,
2: this is easy. He's been rambling around. He's the Rambler man. So ah, he's a the Rambler.
1: They play a song when, than, you, when you enter the AO, <laughs> do you play that song? Yeah, so my walk on something. <laughs> little did I know
2: i just kind of ramble on too. So it's a good double on combat.
0: See, I'm weird. I go, I go to a different song. I went to like the Little, little Nash Rambler. Beep Beep, do you know that song? Beep, I beep. don't think so. Why don't beep, you sing beep. it for me? No, I'm not going to keep going. But it's, it's, it's a comical song. Anyway, it's about a little Nash Rambler was following me. About one. I'll, I'll play it for you sometime.
1: I probably know it when I hear it. Yeah. Because I haven't <laughs> heard it yet. It's, it's far
0: from Led Zeppelin or 80s hairband music that you well, listen then I to. Definitely, I, you I'll, I'll, I'll play it for you after we're done recording this. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Back. I'm not very good at predicting where someone's name came from. I, I, no, I'm not either. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Anyway,
1: no, I, I'm not. But I have an awesome playlist when I queue. So yeah. <laughs> tune in, tune in tomorrow for your favorite. Well, I don't know. We'll, we might be traveling a little bit tomorrow, so we'll see.
0: Well, we can put a speaker in our backpack.
1: We could, but we'll wake our up the neighborhood. Side. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that might not be a good idea at 500. All right. So, Rambler, uh, one question I always start off with: uh, take us back in time. You grew up in. Uh, you were born in Eureka, California and raised in Redding, mm-hmm. California you said that's Northern California. So what was it like where you grew up? What was life like? How was your family life?
2: Well, uh, let's see. So, uh, family life was pretty decent. Uh, although my parents did get divorced when I was two. So, you know, I was a typical latchkey kid in that eighties era, late seventies, early eighties, grown up, um, fought with my older brother a lot and, uh, was excelled at school. Uh, but lived in Redding is at the, the tip, Northern tip of the Sacramento Valley. So it's, uh, Beautiful if you like outdoor stuff, but I was a you know fat little kid, so I didn't really do that. Uh, so it's kind of just focused on the books and studies. Um, but you know, overall, it's a, it's a good, good, good uh, area to grow up in. Um, although uh, it's kind of become destitute now as I as I've grown older and checked in on things out there. It's basically like a uh, landing landing zone for parolees and stuff, and not not a great place to be right now. Wow! But that that's uh. Remote
1: for me, so not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, all, right. all right. I'm
0: just curious. So, Eureka. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I know of two companies, right, that are Eureka. There's Eureka the vacuums. Were they? Is it, are they from out there?
2: Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I actually don't. I don't know that. Okay. I, I I only lived there for about two and a half years, uh, zero to two and a half. So I'm not no, I'm too familiar. Uh, with the not. Area.
0: It wasn't taking notes then. No, apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> Eureka vacuums, and there was like a Eureka, like camping tents and backpacks. I'll company, have to as well. take your word for it. I'm I'm just I'm always intrigued by like these little you know, these factories and companies, sure. that are, you know, dotted all across the United States that make things like that. But
1: anyway, just curious. Anyway, makes sense to me. Back on task. Yeah. I think the guy that uh, the story I got in school was the guy that, that discovered density or something like that. I think it was some French guy. Was from Eureka? No, he. he, <laughs> he, he, he has, the story is I don't know if this is true, and I'm going to mess this up completely, but apparently he got out and ran down the street naked. He was so excited yelling, Eureka, Eureka, I discovered it. So, there you go. Nice. Uh, nice. I don't know.
0: <laughs> okay. As, we'll as I said, to, we'll back, have to research that one. Back on task. Yeah. All
1: right. Back on task. Yes, of course. <laughs> All right. So you went to undergrad at Chapman. Chapman University in Orange, California, vocal performance. So you're a singer?
2: Well, I was. I consider that a deprecated skill at this point in time. Uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I grew up in writing. I went to junior college, Shasta College for a year. Didn't really know what I was going to do. Like, uh, you know, I was one of those kids that at that time, uh, you know, my mom made just enough money to not qualify for any student aid. So despite having really good grades, I got into a few good colleges. But there's no way I could afford to go to them. So I did a year at a, a chef's college. And while I was there um, at a Chapman university has this amazing uh, choral group. And he, at the time, this conductor was pretty well known in that community. And I had joined choir in uh, ninth, ninth, 10th grade, because that's where all the cute girls were. I thought that was a good, good thing to do. And it happened to be good uh, enough to get some money to go to college for it. So that's what I decided to do. They, they toured through my uh, freshman year of college and I auditioned for them. They, Called and said, "Hey, want to send you to send you to Chapman?" My mom said, "Hey, you're not giving them enough money to go there, so you need to come back with a better offer." And they did, and so that's uh, that kind of started my uh, college education.
1: Wow, cool! And they went off to Rice University, still uh, doing vocal performance.
2: Yeah, it's a similar situation. Like I, you know, I was in uh, Orange County um, in uh, what was it, 97, 1997, I graduated and just didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, and my voice teacher said, you need to go audition at, at Rice University. I've sent a few students there. They love it. Um, it's a great, you know, Houston's a great town. It's a great area. Um, so I went and auditioned, and they basically did the same thing. They sent me a big big package to go there for basically free. And I thought, well, it's probably probably the good thing to do.
1: Wow, you must have been a good singer. You're getting scholarships. I, I just, yeah, I feel like we need to hear them sing. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, put you on the spot. Him. Maybe he <laughs> can sing your song you were telling me about, Nash, something. <laughs> know.
0: Nobody knows it. so Well, all right. Anyway. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately, one of the uh, side effects of Parkinson's, which we'll get into later, yeah. is that uh, it affects your voice. So yeah. there came a point in time where I was just like, you know, I don't feel comfortable uh, vocalizing. I don't sound good anymore to myself. Uh, so I just kind of speed that up yeah. uh, not
0: for not
1: better or worse. Not to make light of it, but I don't have that excuse. <laughs> I just
0: awful. I Make a
1: joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen, brother. <laughs> so, what kind of like what kind of
0: performances did you do? Like it was like like uh, co- like choir? Were you in like a cappella group? Like what like what were kind of performances did you do when you were in school? Sure. So you,
2: yeah, as as a student in music like in that degree, you basically have to be in choir. It's part of your obligation, to, especially if you have uh, if you're funded. So you're basically in the big choir. You're in the you're in sort of the advanced. Uh, a smaller choir as well uh but my my goal and my training was uh classical music so was an operatic tenor so uh you know i performed opera uh on at in at chapman at rice at indiana university um had some opportunities to uh do it professionally in very you know minor ways and I just came to the point where um at that time i Never really was disciplined about practicing, and I hated auditioning. Love performing, but, you know, you gotta you got you to have at least one of the other vectors, your, your parameters in play to uh, be successful at it. So I was just like, i got to do something else. Yeah. Um, but for the time, you know, it got, me, it got me to Indiana University, where I uh, switched to uh, a master's in informatics. So I got a degree in human-computer interaction design uh, instead of – dropped the performance pedagogy doctorate degree and
1: got that instead. Yeah, that that answers answer my question. What the heck was DMA performance and pedagogy? I, I was am I saying that saying it right? Yeah, pedagogy, pedagogy.
2: Pedagogy. Yeah, it's a doctorate of musical arts. So it's a it's, you know it's a it's just a, the acronym DMA is a doctor musical arts and performance pedagogy. They the goal is for most singers when they come up and and they want a career in music, uh, vocalists they have two options. They can go like move to New York or, uh, or Europe and do the grind for, you know, 10 or 15 years where their voice matures over time because your voice really doesn't mature until you're like early thirties. Oh. Um, or you can, you know, use the pedagogy port- component of the doctorate as a fallback. back. So, um, you know, because that's teaching, instructing. Right. Um, so that's just usually the two, the two paths. And neither my wife and I thought we'd want to do the, um, the grind portion of that. So we both, uh, entered, uh, IU is performance pedagogy
1: students. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know how, how it, uh, relates, but then you went on a, uh, human computer interaction design. You're making like robots yeah. and stuff. <laughs> like what, what is that? <laughs> uh,
2: it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a fancy way of saying we'll teach you how to build good interfaces for websites. Um, so it's user experience, but it could be, it could be, uh, also like hardware interfaces. Um, just basically, any any way a human can interact with the computer, whether it's you know, a car, driving, self-driving car, or whatever, just making those experiences better. Um, I just happen to focus on the software engineering component of that.
0: It's it's so funny. I, it's, it's it's funny because I work in I work in the information science now field with uh, electronic health record at our at our local health organization, um, our health system, and there's so many of us like have the most bizarre degrees. Like yeah. leading leading up to getting into like information science, you know, com- or you know, IT is the general term a lot of folks will use. But yeah, like geologists, paramedics, you know, I my my background's exercise physiology. You know, you're you're a guy that's had you know multiple de- multiple degrees in 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 vocal performance, and now right as a computer science oh. guy. It's it's yeah, I'm always fascinated how many people come into the. In, into the, into the field, from so many different directions. It's uh, it's it's pretty unique.
2: Yeah, it, it, I did have a reasonable segue into it. So when I was at IU, um, for my for you know to earn some cash, I worked for the uh, basically like the, the on-campus uh, IT department and taught non-academic or you know non-academic compu- computing classes for the population there. So I figured I was a performer; I could just stay one step ahead of the. The class in terms of materials and fake it and teach kids how to you know use Word, how to use Dreamweaver at the time, okay. crap like that, and uh, that kind of spurned my interest in technology. And then when I decided to jump ship, I thought I'm gonna go talk to the head of the uh, H uh, uh, informatics department. And uh, you know, it's a, a new program. I think I started it in year two. And I thought, well, I, they they, need, they must need students. They're only two years old, so maybe I can get in. Sure enough. They, they, they uh, let me in, and I excelled with that, and here I am. So pretty pretty interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, that is pretty cool. And now you're uh, uh, doing software engineering, you're a manager, uh, developing. And let me let me just read it. Software engineering manager, developer, experience team at Grove Collaborative.
2: Yeah, so that's a San Francisco-based company. Uh, it's an e-commerce site, so we sell, like, uh, uh, we're a B Corp, so we do social good. Um, but we basically sell, uh, you know, like, bamboo toilet paper, uh, fancy organic stuff like that, uh, subscription based model. Um, I started with them about two and a half, uh, no, a year and a year and a half ago as a senior software engineer and, uh, got promoted in January to an engineering manager with my own team. So we focus on it's a developer experience. We focus on like, uh, as a previous, my previous role, I built stuff for client facing services, obviously. So like if you wanted to use the website, I worked on making that a better experience. Um, but this developer experience team focuses internally, so my clients are other developers. So we make, uh, within processes and workflows and tooling, and make sure we are providing a good uh, foundational um, workflows for them and tools, so that they you know they don't go leave and work somewhere else.
1: That's amazing. I mean, the careers that have ex- that have been created and expanded since I graduated in college yeah. in 1989 is just like amazing. Yeah. You know, man, I mean, I don't even know what most of these things are when guys come on here and are like telling me what they're doing because most of them work in some kind of IT thing for the, some reason. The
0: World Wide
1: Web had not
0: been developed. No, yet. No, it had not.
1: Barely, <laughs> barely. We didn't really have cell phones yet. We had these cell phones in these big cases you could take in your car. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and now we got stuff I don't even know what they are. Well, it wouldn't,
0: that's, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't throw a jab out at you. That's as far okay.
1: Sure. <laughs> so you did some consulting work with UNICEF. Tell me about that.
0: That was awesome. So pre- prior to uh,
2: Grove Collaborative, I worked at another startup. Um, but then before that, I was a consultant at a small uh, Django consulting company. Django is a Python based uh, framework uh, yes, for building web applications, Python's programming language. So, uh, but one of their clients is UNICEF. And uh, uh, we had an opportunity to work with them and build um, software to monitor the first thousand days of, of uh, maternal health. So, you know, once a woman was pregnant, then uh, up to two years of age for the baby and um, in Africa they um, you know they had amazing cell networks like everybody has two or three or four or five cell phones but their internet is garbage um, so we built a system that um, we could install it at a local hospital and then via text messages uh, the rural doctors could you know send metrics of a of woman's um, visits and send it to the hospital and we could dispatch ambulances we could we Monitor, you know, collect data and track the history of the pregnancy. But um, it's pretty awesome because uh, it afforded me the opportunity to go out there and teach the local developers how to expand and enhance the systems. So I got to work in Zambia for three weeks, Rwanda for a couple weeks, and then Cape Town for a few uh, conferences. It's a pretty, pretty amazing experience.
0: So were you the comms EQ for F3 Churum?
2: No, no, I try to stay far away from that. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the Typical, you know, when you go to my in-laws' house, they ask me how to pick up the trainer mic. I don't do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not my purpose. I got people for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, um, so your wife Leslie, you you met her in college. Is that when you met? Yeah. So I met her at, at Rice University,
2: like day, like a week before school started. We were. I was talking to my uh, would-be. Uh, instructor my voice teacher and like i was in had a, the door open in his office and then i saw her down the hall like 100 feet and i was like wow there's this beautiful young lady like i would love to get to know her and she it turns out she was thinking oh she's thought oh crap i'm gonna marry him and he's a musician i can't marry him he's not gonna ever, never make any money so <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out okay i
1: think yeah it sounds like it you got two two children a son and a daughter yeah,
2: so I got Alex. He's uh, my son. He's almost nineteen now. He just finished his first year of uh, community college as well, and then my daughter just finished uh, seventh grade today. So she's uh, got all A honor roll this year. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, pretty awesome kids. Pretty, pretty great, great family.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. Um, well, you know, we know. Um you mentioned it already, but uh, that you were diagnosed with Parkinson's, uh, Parkinson's at an early age. How old were you when you were diagnosed with it?
2: Uh, you know, I always I slip on this, I think it was uh, 2012, so you know, 20, I was 30, 39, 38, 39, so it's been like seven, seven or eight years now.
1: But you had the symptoms before that, right?
2: Yeah. So uh, actually, so probably about we moved out to uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina uh, in 2010, and so probably a year or two after that, like I started uh, experiencing some interesting uh, things. So I was at a uh, work conference, and you know, where people ask uh, give lectures and things like that. And so after one of the lectures, I stood up and asked some questions. And my coworker afterwards, she's like, "Were you reading from a cue card?" And I was like, "Why?" I said, "No, why? What, what makes think that?" She's like, "Your arm was locked the whole time; like, just wouldn't move. Looks like you're reading from a key card." I was like, "Huh, oh, that's interesting." Didn't think of anything of it. Um, and then when I went home from that conference, I said, "Hey, Leslie, we watch me, you know, just watch me when we're walking and stuff like that, and see if you notice any oddities." And she's like, "Sure," because we used to walk all the time. And uh, so we went on a walk, and she's like, "Your right arm doesn't swing at all." <laughs> I'm like really? She's like, no, yeah, you don't you don't notice it. No, uh, just didn't didn't swing at all autonomously. Um, it would it would swing if I willed it to. You know, actively actively uh, manipulate it, but just you know things you take for granted it just didn't do. Um, so it took probably three or four uh, months, maybe longer to from that that time to uh, go through the whole process of you know talking to my primary care provider. And she's like, yeah. This doesn't sound like anything bad. Maybe. Well, initially I thought it was uh, a scar tissue from a, a pre- previous accident. Just kind of presented late. Cause I, and when we were in Utah, I used to go to a CrossFit gym. I was actually lucky enough to uh, work out with the, the owner during lunch. Cause he needed a workout buddy. So it's pretty awesome. This just got one-on-one training for a couple of years with him. But about three months before I moved to uh, Chapel Hill, um, we we're doing Turkish get-ups, And at the time we were pretty, 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 uh, Intense, so we got up to 135 pound of barbell Turkish get up, and uh, we did it a few times. But then once, uh, one session, we had some people like strolling in after lunch and waiting for their workout to begin. And uh, I got up and like uh, balanced fine on the way up, and then on the way down, I kind of went out of balance. And I thought, well, I, you know, I think you're supposed to just throw the weight, right? You got to get rid of it so you protect yourself. And I thought, well, if I throw this barbell, uh, it's going to hit somebody or it's going to roll into somebody's cycle. I think I can, you know, my brain's doing the calculus and stuff. I think I can roll back on my shoulder and be fine. So, I, of course, fell fell uh, on my butt, rolled back on my shoulder, and slammed my elbow on the ground and sheer sure fractured my wrist. Oh. Um, so, anyway, I, I thought, like, you know, three years later, maybe it's just some weird scar tissue in my shoulder that was causing the uh, weird uh, physical mannerisms, but nope. Uh, I got some EK, e, EEGs and my like my neural or my electrical pathways were fine. Um, and then my primary care provider sent me to her, uh, one of her colleagues who happened to be a sleep specialist neurologist, which turns out is not the best for movement disorders. And he, you know, he gave me uh, the, the main medicine, which is an indicator of you have Parkinson's, which is dopamine. Uh, it's called the, the brand name Sinemet. Um, and if you take it and react to it, more than likely, have some form of Parkinsonism or straight up Parkinson's. But he uh, he gave it to me, and, and then I, and my arm would swing, It'd be great, everything would seem normal. Um, he's like, No, you're way too young to have Parkinson's, I, I can't diagnose you. And I was like, Even I have heard of youth onset Parkinson's, right? Like, have you not heard of Michael J. Fox? Like, he's the poster child for it. He's like, No, well, I just don't feel comfortable um, diagnosing you, so look for another doctor. The UNC Movement Disorder Clinic. And sure enough, within 15 minutes of, of meeting me, he's like, did his assessment, physical assessment? Didn't he need to see me on or off? Cinnamon? Uh, he's like, yep, yeah, you got it. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. And so, were you on Cinnamon uh, uh, from that time? And there's other uh, medicines too, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I took Cinnamon then. And basically, as the partisans progresses, you need more and more of it. So, right. I started maybe uh, maybe two or three hundred milligrams a day, which is you know one or two pills a day. Um, and then, as again as you progress, there's other uh, medicines that help in different ways. So I have a patch that I wear twenty four hours a day, replace it every day. That uh, kind of regulates the production the dopamine that you have in your system uh, still natively. Um, and then there's another, uh, along with the cinnamon, you can take a, a, a dopamine agonist, which keeps the the stuff that is trying to get to your brain uh, and convert it into dopamine uh, keeps that around longer, it regulates that. Mm. And I also have uh, like a rescue inhaler. Um, so, uh, that being said, when I before the surgery, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, I was up to like I think like 22 pills a day. Mm. Wow. It's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah. How And how often a day did you have to take pills? Uh, I was getting to the point where I was taking
2: the cinnamon like every two to three hours. Right. Yeah, so yeah, it's pretty. You know, just managing that it's like ridiculous. It's like, yeah. Did wow. I forget to take this? Is that why I feel like crap? Or you know, it's, it requires a whole routine, and uh, if you deviate from that, it's
1: problematic. Yeah, yeah. So before we talk about the the brain stimulator, what um, when you first got diagnosed, like what was your mindset then? Like what how did you process this?
2: Uh, well, you know, I was kind of relieved to actually get the diagnosis, which seems really odd, but it's like. You know, we didn't know for probably you know six or seven months while um, they were trying to figure this out, and it's, you know everybody has their own like Google Doc, right? So mm-hmm. we have done yeah. some research and we thought, well, it's either Parkinson's or ALS. So it's like you're either screwed or really, <laughs> right. really screwed. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a relief in some weird sense to get diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, yeah, and and just you know I've always had that attitude. Of, um, you know, if, if you you just have to you just have to. Get to do something. You can't just sit around and be uh be idle or you're just gonna rot and you know, not be in a good place at all. Uh which I don't want to be that way. You know, I want to be there for my kids as they get older, my wife of course. And uh that's that's main motivator is just like getting up and doing something every day to ensure I can mitigate the progression of the disease. Yeah. Wow.
1: Ah and uh so you were exercising before that. It didn't sound like you were very athletic in high school. You described yourself that in not athletic, but um you, you ended up in a CrossFit gym. Like when did you start uh hitting the weights and working out and all that stuff?
2: Uh yeah, so I, let's see in my first year of junior college I finally just when well, I graduated high school i like I can't be you know fat so I need to do something about that. Um so I you know lost thirty, forty pounds, hit the gym, you know, every day. Um and uh lost thirty four pounds, went to uh, my undergrad at Chapman and gained it back over the course of my tenure there. Mm-hmm. So then I went, when I went to Rice, and lost weight again. Um, so, you know, typical yo-yo, yo-yo lifestyle for us. We're blessed with that situation. Um, but yeah, uh, when I met my wife, she's super, super athletic. So uh, she inspired me to look into cycling, um, especially when we are in Utah, Indiana and Utah. And when we are in Utah, we did uh, LaTouja, which is Logan Jackson. Road bike race it's a single day two hundred ten miles that's so a nice feather in my cap um, yeah
0: you say
2: yeah she, 210. 210 yeah two
1: hundred twelve two ten from Logan Utah to Jackson
2: Hole in one day
1: that's far <laughs> have you pedal all night long too yeah
2: no that only took that, that took uh, like kind half hours oh, so okay. yeah it's like uh. When, I think, well, maybe 12
0: hours. Can't, I can't remember the exact details, but
2: uh, definitely you start about 6 in the morning. You get, get done 6 or 7 at night.
0: I'm sure it was all flat, too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Unf- unfortunately not, No, there's three, three big passes you have to go through to get to, get to, to Logan or to get Jackson Hole from Logan.
1: So then you, got, you said you got involved with F3 in 2017. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah. yeah so you'd already been
1: diagnosed with Parkinson's when you went out to start working out with the guys.
2: Yeah, I, I was, um, so what What had happened was, uh, yeah, so I went to, um, you know, I was sort of dealing with Parkinson's and thinking, like, I got to get out there, and uh, my uh, uh, Fieri got a me. he, uh, you know, because he talked about it at work, and he's like, well, he should really come out and just do this, you know, be good for him, and um, so I, we went to Iceland for a work trip, which is another story, amazing. And, uh, when I came back, my, I totally disrupted my sleep cycle. like one night nice and like, it's just off by right. four or five hours. So I started going to bed at like, you know, nine or 10 and waking up at three or four.
1: Right.
2: And that's, it's kind of an artifact of, I think that trip, but also, um, it's just a, an you know, a effect, side effect of Parkinson's. Like you just get crappy sleep, um, which is ironic because sleep is one of the best things for Parkinson's, but that's yeah. another story. Um. So, yeah, I was like, well, shoot, I'm waking up at 3 in the morning. I might as well go check this thing out. And, uh, yeah, so I went, and um, it, was, it was pretty amazing. It's kind of like overwhelming experience, right? Because, um, you know, you go out there, you're, you're sucking wind, you can't talk to anybody, et cetera, et cetera, you're feeling terrible. But there's always guys coming back and like, hey, you can do this. You got this. And it's just an amazing experience. And I was immediately hooked on that aspect of it. Um, but then after a few days, it's like, where, where's this second act coming? Like, I don't I don't understand this. Like, I, I can't talk at all when we're jogging. I can't talk at all when we're working out because I'm just, you know, so out of shape. Like I want, I want to get to know these people. Right. And then some, some, I can't remember who exactly it was, but he's like, Hey, you know, you can come out for extra credit. It was like, what's that? Like, well, you can come out at four thirty in the morning and you can put on a weighted backpack and walk around. I'm like, that sounds like the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> I'll be why, there. why would anybody do that? Uh, but you know, I was like, "Well, I'm gonna give it a try," and it was awesome. I got hooked immediately because you know it's just a different modality, right? You just put on this weighted backpack. You for like the first forty-five minutes, you feel great. Then forty-five minutes in, I like, oh man, this is this is this is doing stuff to my body. But the you know, you're you're uh, not sucking in, so you can talk and learn about your buddies. And it's it's pretty awesome. It's a great great entry great, great gateway into the whole wrecking world, and then of course just uh, learning about my uh,
1: Everybody. Yeah, that that's a great point. I hadn't thought thought about that about <laughs> either. the social aspect is is easier to you know d- you know more pronounced than if you're running or yeah you know doing what we did this morning the mom and sucking wind
0: yeah because you're generally like uh, I assume in these bigger groups when you're rucking like you're still pretty much all together right.
2: Sorry, in and out a little bit.
0: No, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, I would assume like in these bigger, bigger regions where you have like a large group of guys that are rucking, you, you all tend to be all in one big group together, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, basically. Very rarely do you do a, a ruck workout where you're, you know, where you're just trying to win and beat everybody, although that's different in, in the actual event where, you know, it pays to be a winner. Yeah. But if you're just, just training, you're all, you're all together for the most part.
0: Yeah, you're right. I like. I never really had thought about that. the the, the social aspect is so much better right. with, with rocking. Yeah, you're big group all together. You can breathe. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can talk and actually you're, communicate. You're in zone three or whatever yeah. zone that is. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, you know, I, I just I just love doing that uh, because you know, not only learn about the other guys, but you kind of learn about yourself and what you what your limits are and what what well, what your perceived limits are and how you can get past them and Learning new skills, you know. I mean, I, I would have never learned how to put somebody in a stretcher and carry him around over my shoulder forever, or fireman carry a dude. Like that's all nonsense, but it's pretty practical in some sense. So it's good to know.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely want to pick your brain a little bit and get in a little bit more about the rucking and all that stuff. But uh, uh, because I, I just started rucking basically a little over a month ago, mm-hmm. and uh, so well, we'll get back into that a little bit. But I want to finish the. Um, where we're we going with, you know, your, uh, your treatment for the Parkinson's? So, cause you, now, then sure. you ended up with the, with the surgery, right? The yeah. So, uh,
2: last June, um, I got, uh, the first three surgeries for deep brain stimulation. Um, the first surgery is in the office where you meet, you basically, it's very strange because, you know, I work with my neurologist for ages and we talked about, um, you know, this is a therapy, uh. Basically, there's a few requirements. You have to have been diagnosed for four years. Uh, you have to have, have been your med- on your meds for f- at least four months, and they have, are no longer being that efficacious. And then you have to go through a neuropsych eval um, to make sure you don't have a lot of cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. That's m- the majority of uh, physical, and that's because uh, the, the the therapy for cognitive decline is the same as as the physical, which is cinnamon dopamine, um, but the uh, the stimulation, electrical stimulation, only mitigates um, the physical uh, components of Parkinson's. So if you have too much cognitive decline, you're not usually a good candidate because one of the other, one of the primary goals of the surgery is reducing your medical medicines as much as possible. So if you remove the sentiment, you're kind of screwing yourself if you have cognitive decay. So um, so yeah, uh, you meet this neurosurgeon like for 10 minutes. And he's like, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to screw some bolts in your head uh, because we're going to 3d print a frame that we're going to then put on your head when you come for the second surgery. And uh, then we're going to put you under for a little while. And then we're going to wake you up and put some in electrodes in your brain and test them out. And then we'll close you up. And then two weeks later, we're going to have you back again, stick this, uh, like pacemaker in your, I don't know if you can see that pacemaker yeah. in your chest. And then you're going to wait a few weeks and then we'll turn you on and see how it works. So it's pretty, pretty crazy uh, experience in hindsight, but incredibly uh, helpful. Because um, one of my uh, symptoms was dystonia. I, I have kind of atypical Parkinson's. So normally, Parkinson's, you see like lots of tremor like this, right? I don't really have much tremor. Um, I have bradykinesia, which is super uh, stiffness. And then uh, dystonia, which is like, torquing cramps that you can't control. Yeah. So um, before the surgery, I was getting to the point where probably two or three hours a night, I was just up lying on the floor upstairs, you know, just in pain uh, from these torquing cramps in the legs and my arms. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not, you don't really want to be uh, alive to be quite frank. Yeah. Um, wow. So it's the point where we need to do the surgery.
1: That's yeah. Wow. It's <laughs> intense. Did you, did the surgery work?
2: Yeah, that's the ima- that, Yeah, so my benchmark for success was, you know, uh, barring anything else, if I can mitigate the dystonia, like it would be a win. Yes. And I'll deal with anything else, any other side effects. And yeah, since they turned it on, I have not had one episode of dystonia, which is amazing. Like uh, my doctor cool. is super pleased with the placement, obviously, and the outcome. The device reps are super pleased with it. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, praise God for that because that, that's torture you were going through.
2: Wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: And did that usually uh, start? I see where the, left the you know, made me jump off and back on. Yeah, if it happens, we'll just get you back on. Okay, cool. Um, did that usually happen at night? Those, yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. yeah, it's very strange. So, you know,
2: once, um, I mean, I'm assuming it's because I generally take meds when I was asleep. So, you know, I take meds every three or four hours. But there's, you know, right. some windows between six and eight hours at night, supposedly. That I'll be asleep the whole time. So I think it's just an artifact of no dopamine in your system, and then the, the disease take, takes over basically. So yeah, it's pretty much like uh, every night from between like two and four,
1: maybe. Mm-hmm. There, he goes. And there he goes.
0: Is that like new technology?
1: I don't know how new it is. I don't know.
0: Like, how does it, like, do you know, like, how, how does this thing? I don't know. I don't know really, that he knows. I don't want to ask. Like. To go up through like
1: goes up up your inside your neck up into your cranium, and hey, there you are, you're back back again. Yeah, um, yeah, so uh,
2: yeah, pretty much every night, about two to four, I'd be up and start my leg, which my like my left uh, quadriceps would just stiffen up, in my left calf and uh, and my arm would sometimes torque and be stuck in the middle of the air. It's really awesome. Great experience wow. It's hundred percent sarcasm it's terrible yeah it's the worst 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 thing I could ever imagine inflicting on somebody uh never would recommend uh, never i never wish parkinson's on anybody it's 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 a horrible horrible
1: thing, so yeah so um did did anybody or is it is it recommended <coughs> is exercise exercise recommended as a sort of a treatment
2: yeah, actually, exercise is the the uh, undisputed, hundred percent best uh, therapy for preventing, or for slowing progression. Right. So there's no cure for Parkinson's. The only thing you can do is mitigate symptoms and hopefully do things that uh, slow down progression. And exercise is, is is by and large the best therapy, followed by you know cinnamon which is dopamine mm-hmm. replacement, followed by, you know, things like TBS, which is the deep brain stimulation.
1: Yeah, is there a particular type of exercise? Like, is it cardiovascular or, you know, any, any specific type of exercise?
2: Yeah, so there's there's uh, good data and science to support, uh, like, high-intensity spinning, so, like, Peloton spin bike. Mm-hmm. This is a, the, one of the best things you can do. Uh, there's uh, good data uh, evidence that boxing helps quite a bit. Uh, and then uh, let's see the other one. Uh, just basically, just basically anything, anything that, that gets your heart up and you moving yeah. is going to get you, you know, producing. So there's some switch in your brain that they can't quite explain, but you know, at some point when you're exercising, your brain remembers to maybe make dopamine or you somehow clear up enough of the crap that's clogging up the system that your dopamine gets to the right place. And mm. and uh, so yeah, it's all it's all any exercise is better than none. Wow. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you notice any, like how many days a week do you, uh, do you work out?
2: Um, well, let's see. So I should be doing something every day. Um, but I'm probably on average, like the past surgery, you know, it's kind of before the surgery I was doing, uh, well, let's back up in my prime state where I had the disease, but it wasn't, uh, impacting me that much. I was pretty much like seven days a week whether it was F3 or rocking or, you know, all the above every day. Um, and that dwindled down, of course, as my symptoms got worse and worse. Um, and then I had the surgery. And so it's been kind of a slow, slowish uh, battle back to getting out regularly. But I think I'm back on average probably three or four days a week now doing something.
0: And you, you said there at the beginning when I asked you that, I think you said you should, like you should be doing it every day. So do you, do you notice variation from day to day? When you when you've worked out and when you don't like are your like any symptoms residual symptoms that you still have like are they worse or better when days you've exercised or not exercised
2: yeah there's two two components to that one is uh, uh, yeah I definitely notice um, it, it it basically the thing that affects is that a lot of your medicine work better uh, or longer by some you know cosmic force that they don't quite know that's uh, that's one of the frustrating things is they don't really know much about how or why this disease works and, and uh, until you're dead and they can cut your brain open and see basically poke around and see what's going on. But, um, yeah. So if I, if I do like, uh, I'm, if I do spin bike, um, I usually feel better most of the day. Um, and if I don't do it or if I eat like crap, that's the other thing. That's the other It's Like if you have any kind of inflammatory diet, you're just screwing yourself. So it's, it's uh, pretty uh, important to get your diet checked, which I have not been doing a good job of lately, and that's that's the next thing I'm working on. Yeah.
0: Is is the brain st- stimulator that you have is that is it still considered like experimental or um, is, it, yeah, is it is it, is it becoming question. is it becoming um, kind of yeah. like a standard treatment?
2: Yeah, so DBS, DBS has been around for about twenty years, um, and it's it's no longer experimental um, for elderly people it's it's and it's now become standard to care for younger generation like people with Ethan said, onset used to not do it for them just uh but now that you know as as uh, right before i got it they finally released a longitudinal study um that was uh i think the results were something like um the average age of the implant was 19 years and the average uh, efficacy over that time had only dropped like 10 percent right? so it's still 90 percent efficacious mm-hmm. based off of you know Physical tests and, and self-reporting from the patients that had it. So,
1: well, oh, that's good. That's that, encouraging. Yeah.
0: How long is the, how long is the stimulator unit last in your chest?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I got a rechargeable one. So probably yeah. about ten years. long I uh, have to get, get that replaced? Um, you can get a non-rechargeable one but that only lasts like maybe another two or three years. So that's, that seems like uh, okay. so rechargeable is better.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah. Pardon my ignorance. How do you recharge it?
2: Sure, Uh, so you have like a, you know how you can do like a wireless uh, phone charger? Yep. So basically I I have this, I got a, like basically like a hockey puck Uh that I plug into the wall. So this gets, this is a battery. Okay. And then then I plug it in the wall and it charges and then I just loop it around my neck and so this beeps until I put it in the right place. And it stopped beeping, so now it's charging. So you just basically put it on the, uh. Yeah, it's gone but a charge.
0: amazing
1: yeah yeah
2: if it weren't if it weren't science it'd definitely be science fiction
0: right
1: yeah <laughs> yeah wow that's an amazing story man I uh, I I admire your your uh, your attitude about it and I'm sure you have bad days but um, to continue to to work out and I know it I know I saw you on Facebook live doing that rucking event they had um, did you set that up or that was done uh Tell, tell me about that rocking event you had. Sure, yeah. So
2: uh, uh, a few weeks ago, May, 9th, May 13th, uh, a few Fridays ago, uh, we uh, had 34 guys come out and do a go-ruck tough with a go-ruck cadre. Um, I did not set it up, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I think before we started the actual show. Um, my buddies, you know, I got back into uh, rocking after my surgery. Thank goodness. Uh, cause you know, I love it. Um, and they were, they, they were like, okay, you ready to get, for it? get up to an event? And I was like, sure, let's figure this out. Let's do the Raleigh tough. It was in May 20th or something like that. And unbeknownst to me two of my other buddies were already kind of in the planning phase. They're like, Hey, when Rambo's is ready, we're going we're gonna to just tell me to custom tough. So, uh, it's funny cause uh, like all kind of happens super fast. Um, so I think it was back in November ish where I was like, Hey, we're gonna target uh Rawlite in May. I think I can do it. Let's, let's, let's I'm gonna sign up. And so my, my buddy uh Grinswald, he he's like text me, he's like, Hey, you gotta come over. I gotta talk to you about something. It's like what? And he's like, I can't tell you, just come over. And so I went over to his house that evening. Um, and my other buddy Grunge was there and they're like, Dude, we've been we've been talking about planning a customer up for you. Like we don't want you to just do this, you know normal a tough once you do it with all the guys and, and you know invite whoever you want let's do it so uh, within like when I give them thumbs up you know and they put up a Google spreadsheet to get registrants they filled it out in like eight hours twelve hours 35 full vote and so uh, you know I've been training for it obviously um, from November but uh, as we're getting close to the event you know one of the things about Parkinson's is the more stress you get, the more your symptoms express themselves. Yeah, And so, uh, so, you know, I was able to do some workouts, but, uh, and, and a side effect of DBS turns out is you kind of just lose the ability to do comp- some complex moves. Some people do. So like bear crawling, crab walking, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just, it's a no go burpees, no go. Right. I can't have to figure out how to relearn how to do them still. Um, so, you know, we're approaching event week and it's like, dude, I'm gonna just I'm gonna be a liability. I, I we had a bunch of guys that had not done an event before and I wanted them to experience, you know, the, the real deal and not just have it be some, you know, truncated event or uh, easy event just cater to me personally. So I reached out to the cadre and I said, Hey and I explained all this to him. i like been ruminating on this neat way at me. And I think I I think I could pull myself out of the event, which is gonna disappoint everybody. So how about you let me co cadre with you? He's like, that's a great idea. So, uh, yeah. So I, I want a coca drink. So I didn't, I mean, I did the event, walked 13 miles with some weight in my backpack, but didn't do any PT, of course. And, uh, I did route, I did the route, um, and it scheduled all the PT movements and things like that.
1: Wow. That's, you know, it's just incredible. I'm, I'm here, you know, wondering if I should do a, a GTE and, uh, and I just started rucking, and he's out there doing it.
0: Yeah, You yeah, absolutely,
2: hundred
0: percent. Yeah, I'm. I'm also wanting to text our packs and say, "What are your excuses for not yeah, coming right. tomorrow morning?" <laughs> 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 yeah. that's, that's, we're that's, talking that's, to a guy. That's a funny. <laughs>
2: we did a we did a custom HTL uh, in Trump in uh, 2019, and uh, my buddy Griswald, uh You know, we're always do each other crap, and so we we're uh, like our you know, sixteen or eighteen of the heavy is like eight or nine in the morning. He's like, "Oh man, my leg hurts. Whatever. I don't think I can do this. I can't make it." And I was like, "Dude, I got Parkinson's. What's your excuse?" He's like, "Oh,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah. Now uh, my problems are, are minor compared to yours. I have, but I have uh, back issues, and that's why I, I didn't ruck because I thought that I shouldn't ruck because I have some back problems. I had back surgery before. I have another disc space that's stenosed and." Um, my one leg is weak I think I shouldn't put weight on my back but then I read The Comfort Crisis by this Michael Easter and he had a, a chapter 2 in there about rucking and it said that guys with their back pain actually got better like 70% of them got better at rucking so I thought well, I'll give it a shot it turns out yeah. I, I can ruck now I haven't rucked real far the furthest I rucked is 4 miles but uh, yeah. added some elevation and stuff like that and my back actually feels better unfortunately my leg is getting worse so I think uh, I might be in store for another back operation but uh, no man we have a GTE in, uh, in Pennsylvania where we're at, uh, in November in Valley Forge, and I'm considering it. Uh, the problem for me is getting under the log. I could carry the, the backpack. I don't know if I could get under the log, but, uh, anyway, uh, something I'm thinking about. So, you know, my running, I was going to, you know, I, I was not a good runner, but I was doing, you know, probably, oh, well, anywhere from 60 to 80 miles a month, maybe a little less sometimes. And, uh, we were supposed to run in the Blue Ridge Relay, we ran it last year, and I had to back out this week because I talked to my spine surgeon. But, uh, but I thought if I can't run, like I can still run a little bit, but I can't, I'm not gonna do the Blue Ridge Relay, but uh, but I could rock. And so, I'm thinking, well, maybe I should uh, even think more, more about doing this GTE thing. I don't know, what's your advice? Yeah, I mean, I'd say do it, like it's seems
2: feel I mean if you, as long as you don't have you know an actual medical issue that your doctor says suggests you not do it, then I'd I'd just do it, right? Most of the worst worst case scenarios, you know, you have to tap out. And, you know, even if you do, you still learn a ton about yourself. You've learned about what your, you know, actual limits are, mm-hmm. if that's the case. Um, but you you know, you may very much surprise yourself and learn that you can, you know, not compensate, but you can work through it and get past it and, you know, be be just badass high impact man right like it's it's pretty amazing and i think there's a lot of this it's not just the physical aspect like to me uh like a a good event is um again it goes back to you know learning about other people so just like i enjoy marking for second f i enjoy the events primarily because um you know you get to learn about other people yeah Um, but there's so many parallels between f3 and rucking like there's a bunch of guys in F3 that I would never associate with if I hadn't been in F3, right? For various reasons, whether it's ideology or religion or whatever. But, you know, it's like this melting pot of America. It's not really so much one anymore um, in terms of like interacting with other components that may not be like you, but F3 provides that environment. And I think that, you know, the go Ruck events do as well, which is pretty awesome.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that advice. I'm, I'm you know, you and Dark Helmet have inspired me so far. To do this grow, grow ruck thing. I don't know if I can get the time off of work to do it in November, but we'll see. I don't know, Are you going to do it with me, Dial-Up? I'm,
0: yeah, I'm torn. Yeah. I, I do the uh, run for diamonds, you know, that time of year. kind of messes, right, messes yeah. up with that big race that I like to do. But uh, I, I definitely will want to do one at some some point, just a matter of picking which one.
1: Yeah. Spielberg. You're going to ruck with me? All right. He says yes. He nods Yes. No one can hear him Ooh. or see him. He really exists. Spielberg does exist. I
0: wonder if they're going to cross the Delaware.
1: I don't Dead know. Ours. The original plan, before anything was specifically planned, C-SPAN's idea was to go from Valley Forge to, to the city. But I I, think that's, I don't think they're doing that now. I don't really know. Yeah. So
0: It's all top secret.
1: Yeah, the Delaware is pretty far yeah. away. Delaware is really far away. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, they if you Delaware, don't go... New Jersey, <laughs> that's, yeah, that, uh, Never mind. We can't rock that far. <laughs> they camped at the Valley Forge though, right? Uh, later on. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I about thought it was before it. beforehand. I don't know. Yeah, pretty. For I sure.
0: forget my history. I'm struggling tonight. That's all right. Previous <laughs> podcast. I had North Dakota. I, I had some places. Yeah, in... yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you were you were anyway. west of Iowa with South Dakota. It's really, no- it's okay. So that's part of the event that we
2: did. Um, you know, I, I also made it a fundraiser for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which is the, you know, the largest uh, Parkinson's Foundation uh, fundraising entity that exists. So we raised 15 grand for them, like, without really marketing the event or the fundraising aspect. That's pretty awesome. Um, they reached out to me and said, hey, are you going to do this every year? And Dora and was just kind of like, hey, are you going to do this every year? So if you don't hit your cuff before, you know, next uh, Mayish, Aprilish, April-ish, then uh, we should talk. Like at the beginning of the year. Maybe you can come down here and, and knock it out. It's
1: us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see go. how far this takes me. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'd love to, I'd love to, hang yeah. out. I'd love to ruck with you, man. Yeah. I'll be, be great. I'll be really sad when the guy Parkinson's out rucks me, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I'm good with that. Oh man, yeah. So um, it's it's inspiring to hear you know a guy just dealing with this stuff and and still carrying on with this kind of attitude and and uh, and the, and and the benefit of you know fitness. I mean, what you know, time after time, week after week, guest after guest, we find out what the benefits of this stuff yeah. uh, really are, and uh, it's really such a serious situation. And uh, you know, it's improved with with exercise.
0: Yeah, and again, it's yeah. You know, to me, it's the. What speaks to me is you know, the <laughs> how lame excuses are uh, that you hear from a lot of a lot of guys of why they can't do it or don't don't come or won't won't try it. And uh, I just love hearing these stories because it just adds to the the weapons in your arsenal of at least trying to guilt guys into <coughs> <Yeah. laughs> to try it. Uh, like I said, it's like oh 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 that's a, you don't like to get up in the morning. Oh, that's too bad.
1: Let me introduce you to Randall. yeah. Let me introduce you to Rambler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. That's cool. Now, let me, th- are your legs affected much?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean the whole body is. So, right.
1: uh, you know, I, even now
2: I, I shuffle every once in a while, which you know, like an old dude shuffle. So I mean, you know, I do that occasionally um, more than I'd like to, to be honest. But once I get going, like if you put a weight on me and I, and I can start walking, then it's, it's, it's usually fine until I have to stop and, Turn or, or stop and wait for a light. Um, yeah. That's probably the the hardest, most frustrating thing. Is it's like it impacts your uh, your like start stop whole process. I don't know what it is. Like it's you know you start. I don't know if it's because you start over analyzing. You're like or just not cognizant of the millions of operations your brain does in normal daily life. And it's just uh it's discouraging. But uh, once once I get moving, I'm usually okay. Yeah um, and. There's other weird oddities. Like if I walk through a doorway, you know, if I have to open a door, I get all screwy. If I have to walk through an open doorway, it's like a little less screwy, but still, hmm. I think it's anytime, anytime the brain thinks it has to make a decision or start moving, you know, many limbs at the same time, it just kind of shuts down, Yeah, which is weird <laughs> to be, to put it bluntly, very weird.
1: Is this a, is this a, um, a genetic? Like, do you have a family history of Parkinson's? Uh, it
2: can be. There's a genetic marker for it. Um, I don't have it supposedly, but uh, I don't have any other people in my family that have it, uh, and I I don't have the marker. But uh, that that can be uh, that's debatable because it can depend on who took the, the sample and who ran it through the machine. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it can be genetic. I don't have anybody else in my family that has it, so it's probably not. Um, otherwise, it's usually. It can be environmental, which, you know, if you're, like, swimming in a lake of pesticides your whole life. Like, it's big in, big in the Midwest because there's lots of farming, farmers that, uh, really? you know, live in pesticides, and they get it. Um, otherwise, it's just a weird mutation. And so the mutation is you got this whole system in your brain that, like, cleans up when you're sleeping, right? So when you go to sleep and you hit REM, you have these proteins that go clean up all the crap and, you know, put it in garbage or whatever. Right. So for for some reason, these proteins that do that work, start folding wrong, they basically like fold and break down and die, huh. which just causes a catastrophic chain effect. You know, it's like your neuroreceptors receptors start stop working, stop producing dopamine because they're not getting cleaned up or whatever and then you yeah. just kind of screwed from there.
1: Are there certain foods Wait. that help? Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole...
2: Uh, that's that's a tough question to answer it's like a lot of pseudoscience there's yeah. certain certain people that think like various herbs help and things like that but there's no i i would think that if they really helped there'd be science that, sure. that validated the, yeah, those yeah.
1: Things. I, the only reason i asked that is because you're kind of describing i think free radicals maybe i don't know and and scavenging and there's like antioxidants help that and certain foods are high in that but i may be way way off here i don't know yeah i
2: think the biggest problem is it's like uh the the any of the the uh, the treatments basically which is not <laughs> any of the treatments are are to get your brain to produce more dopamine. So it's got to wow. pass the blood brain barrier. So yeah, right, and that's that's very difficult to do. So I think that um, until they figure out a pathway for that, that and some other alternative uh, compounds or or proteins, then yeah, we're just kind of stuck in this cycle right now, yeah. which. Kind of stinks because cinemet was introduced like in the fifties, and there's been no no progress, no huge break, no huge breakthrough since then. It's all like you know things you take along with it that help extend it or whatever. Yeah.
1: Well, and praise God for the technology we have. The deep brain stimulators working for you, and uh and uh, I'm I'm just I'm really honored to have met you and talked to you about this stuff.
0: Totally, totally agree.
2: Yeah, I appreciate the time. It's it's been awesome. Uh, I love. I'm like an open book, so you know, if if you have people contact you and want to know more, please connect me to them. I'm totally up for talking about it. You know, I think that's one of my neuropsychologist. She actually said like you're you're a great, you're like an exemplar patient because you do have this ability to kind of like separate yourself from the disease and like objectively understand that it sucks, but you're not like you know, uh, mentally, uh, breaking down from it. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm totally an open book. Going to talk about it with everybody and anybody. So, uh, she's like, you're a great. You'd be a great spokesperson for this. Yeah. You know, got a good attitude, et cetera, et cetera. So.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Great story, man. And yeah. Any chance I, I have to get your, get your name out there and get your story out there certainly would take advantage cool. of it.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I ask you one question. I ask every guy this, uh, uh, on the, that comes on the show. If this is your chance to give to address the men of America, what message do you have for the men of America?
2: Oh boy, that's that's, a, that's like a it's a it's like, like a big freaking sandbag. It's a heavy <laughs>
1: low, <laughs> it's
2: a very big burden. Uh, you know, if people listen levels. to this
1: podcast. They'll know I asked that question. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Right? Yeah,
2: you, you can probably that's probably evidence that I haven't actually listened to your podcast. No, that's it's okay. Terrible, that's okay. terrible all right. thing. <laughs> so I'll be honest, right? I'm a little, bit honest. Yeah, yeah actually good. Good. Well, what I, uh, let's see, you know, yeah, that's, that's such a, there's so many potential answers that what I tell them in America, um, uh, you know, just get up and get up and, and re- recognize that You know, we only have a limited amount of time on this earth, right. Mm-hmm. For, you know, could be, could be, 50, well, it could be 10 years, it could be zero, it could be whatever. So, I mean, you got to really relish and take advantage of that time and use it for, for, to better yourself, better your family, better your relationships. And, you know, as those circles expand, those concentric circles, you start impacting other people. So, I think you, you just have to really be cognizant of the time you have and the, what you're doing with that time. Mm-hmm. And how does that impact you? And, you know, are you making good choices for yourself? Whether it's, you know, should I have eaten that pizza last night? Probably not. Um, or should I have spoken to my kids this way or my wife or whatever? You know, my, you know and so you, gotta, you, you have a limited amount of time and you need to do a, a lot of uh, introspection so that you use that time wisely and you be as impactful as you can. Right. Whether that's in your tiny little community or if you're, you know, a superstar, yeah, using that platform to to enhance, you know, the experience for everybody else. Otherwise,
1: what's the point? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, I, hit, I,
0: yeah. We, we put you on the spot there with that question, but dude, you hit it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, so, oh, so, you. so well said. Yeah. yeah.
1: I do have another question for you. What um, how does your faith impact, you know, your your attitude and what you're doing here? Like what kind of what faith do you have? That's uh, that's
2: uh, again. I'm an open book, so I'll, I'll be 100 percent honest. I'm uh, agnostic, so I, I don't you know, I don't know. I don't claim to know what's out there. I don't ascribe to a certain uh, religion. Uh, I'm, I, I would say I'm pretty spiritual. You know, I think there's a lot of spiritual. that comes from F three, mm-hmm. that time you spend with with other people, and not just of course the brothers of F three, but with your spouse and your uh, colleagues at work and everything like that. So I'd say I'm highly spiritual, but uh, in terms of like uh, ascribing to a particular religion, I can't say that I do. As a musician, funnily enough, I've been—I like to say that I've been Jewish, I've been Presbyterian, <laughs> I've been Episcopalian, I've been—you know—all sorts of things because that's one of the ways you make money as a young musician. if you, uh, you know, like a section leader for a choir, um, or you're like I've sung High Holy Days at the Jewish synagogue, which is a pretty awesome experience, and it's. I think there's lots of ways um, if you, if you really don't know, and you know, there's ways to be spiritual and tap into that, those, those uh, veins of humanity without necessarily needing to uh, be beholden to one thing or another.
1: All right. Well, we're Christians, so we're going to pray for you. Yeah, absolutely. As you go on. And, uh, and uh, I, 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 I think your story is just really motivational for, for all the men out there. And uh, it's, like I said before, it's just a, an honor to have you on and and get to know you and, and hear your story. I, I hope other guys feel the same way.
0: Yeah, I hope someday we cross paths and get to meet each other in person.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll be yeah, under I mean, weight. What's that? Maybe we'll be under some weight at the time.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I, hope, so. I hope so. It'd be amazing. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Or if not, maybe we'll just have a beverage of choice or enjoy
1: each other's company that way. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds <laughs> good. Well, cool uh dial up i think we spoke to another high impact man tonight absolutely yeah no doubt very
0: high impact man inspiring i appreciate that
1: thank you all right rambler god bless
2: you
0: yeah take care brother
2: yeah you as well thanks for your time and uh you know if you ever want me to have me back i'm probably uh, probably willing to do it so
0: all right all right thank Thank you for listening to this week's episode i would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high impact man more information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com if you like this podcast please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com that is him at highimpactman.com the high impact man podcast has a new episode every week and you can find them on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week everyone.